This is the John Oakley Show podcast. Trump at Davos, Greta Thunberg at Davos when it comes to the whole fossil fuel thing. Uh, Who is more practical, pragmatic for the decade ahead? Uh, Let's leave that now. But joining us on the line to still pick up the point that Davos is this confab where people are addressing, amongst other things, climate change. It's made the top five, as I understand it. Catherine Harrison is a professor of political science at the University of British Columbia and a climate policy researcher. Catherine, good to have you on the Oakley Show here in Toronto. Thank you. I'm happy to be with you. So tell me about this uh, Davos confab, because, you know, uh, there have been things that have been expressed by Greta Thunberg saying, we got to stop the fossil fuel industry immediately. This crisis is too important. Donald Trump, on the other hand, giving big ups to the oil and gas industry, certainly in his own country. Uh, who's more credible on that front, you think, with their petition to the public? Um, I put my money on Thunberg. Uh, She's not actually saying we have to stop the fossil fuel industry immediately. Um, In fact, I think she's pretty careful to stick to the consensus science of the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. So in her speech today, she called for no longer allowing further exploration and expansion of fossil fuel production and dramatic um, decline of emissions, but not shutting it down overnight. Um, I think that is... It is very much consistent with the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change that um, issued a report at the request of um, the the parties to the Paris Agreement and the UN Convention saying that if we want to have a chance to limit climate change to 2C, we'd need to see a global reduction of 25% by 2030. And if we want to have a chance to get to 1.5C, that would need to be 45%. Well, that's interesting because, uh, again, Greta speaking at... Uh Davos uh, yesterday, again, imploring everybody. Now, you say uh, she doesn't want to shut it down immediately. I mean, that's something that I have here. My intel tells me she did say, but I'm not going to quibble about that. It's just a question of how urgent people see this. And if they believe her, like last year, telling the leaders gathered in Davos, they should panic about climate change. And without treating it as a real crisis, we cannot solve it. the folks there, I mean, the oil and gas execs didn't necessarily show out in droves, but, uh, you know, China and India, too. I mean, they don't seem that interested in these arguments we're presenting in the West. Uh, is that a big problem? It's a huge problem. And I think, um, you know, what's interesting is last year when Thunberg was just emerging, nobody had really heard of her until about a year ago. And she made a speech in which she used the argument that our house is on fire. And it was an interesting metaphor then. Having watched the scale of wildfires in Australia over the last month or more, I think that that metaphor of the house on fire doesn't seem like um, such a metaphor anymore. There really are um, more urgent wildfires, record rain, heat waves, the hottest decade on record. So certainly she's not saying that we're, you know, she's not saying this is a prediction of what is happening. She's calling for greater urgency and stronger action. And there's no question we're not on that path right now. Catherine, you got to help me here because I'm a simple lay person and I don't understand the science necessarily. But are you telling me like uh, increased things like uh, wildfires in Australia, uh, you know, storms that happen, maybe the dump that happened in Newfoundland on the weekend. Uh, can we definitively ascribe these to climate change? Um, I'm not a scientist, but I read some of the science on this. And one of the advances over the last decade has been in, in is in scientists putting odds on 
the um, the belief that climate change has exacerbated something. So it's almost never entirely climate change. Australia is a place that has always had wildfires. But the scientists are saying that climate change, in particular prolonged drought, higher, uh, higher temperatures, has made those forests more vulnerable to the wildfires that have naturally happened, and that's allowed them to spread more rapidly and damage um, wildlife and homes and so on. So what we're seeing is scientists saying the, the likelihood that climate change significantly contributed to a given disaster is X. And increasingly, they are saying, yes, climate change, this, what we're seeing is what they have been telling us would happen. More extreme sudden rainfall, drought, higher temperatures, um, greater uh, threat of wildfire, flooding, and so on. And um, this is the beginning. So this is what they've been saying for decades. Yeah, but some people poke holes in that argument, too. And, uh, for example, they'll say uh, polar bears were supposed to be near extinction, and they're not. Their numbers have actually increased. I mean, so, you know, when people say emphatically or unequivocally the science is settled, I get kind of nervous about that because I hear some people who seem credible. In fact, look... Patrick Moore, I heard him speak last week. Dr. Moore, I don't know if you know, he was a co-founder of Greenpeace. Now he, he claims... I know who he is, yep. <laughs> he declaims a lot of these things. In fact, he was emphatic in saying uh, this is all a colossal hoax being perpetrated on uh, an unwitting or compliant public, and I'm going, oh my God, now he's yanking me in this direction. I don't know who to believe. Why would he have gone off the rails so uh, precipitously? I assume it's because that who pays him, pays him as a consultant... Um, He hasn't been associated with an environmental group for many decades, to my knowledge. The the way the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change works is these are the scientists who are actually working in these areas. These are the scientists who are working on climate. These are the scientists who are working on wildlife ecosystems and so on. And this is a consensus process. They focus on the most recent publications. They insist that they be peer-reviewed. Governments of the world also get involved in confirming that they're willing to accept the text and very careful that the scientists don't get too far out on a limb. And what we know from various studies by social scientists is that the very small fraction of um, those with, even if they have a PhD, who have rejected the consensus science of the IPCC tend not to be climate scientists. They are physicists. They are people who haven't published in decades. So the the real working scientists, the ones who are publishing peer-reviewed science on related subjects, are the ones in the IPCC. And so rather than cherry-picking some individual who questions it, why not just accept the consensus of the global scientific community? Well, you know, because we were fed so much of this early on. I mean, look, uh, you say some scientists, uh, you want to be careful not to let them get too far out on a limb. What about Michael Mann and his widely discredited hockey stick graph? Uh, We were supposed to be like six degrees warmer by now, according to him. That's been proven to be flawed seriously or even a hoax. No, it doesn't. And I'm sorry, I'm just not willing to engage in this discussion anymore. I think that citizens, but also a tremendous responsibility of the media, have to move beyond. But there's some guy here who says Michael Mann is, you know, a hoax. He won, he won a court case, and those who um, discredited his reputation and his, his credibility had to pay him damages. Um, That's so, the case out in B.C.? I mean, we have to—pardon me? Is that the case that out in B.C.? in the U.S. No, I think mm. it was in the U.S. 
Um, Still being litigated, I think. We have to, there are people who have deep financial interest in continuation of a fossil fuel economy, investments in fossil fuels, and for decades they have been paying people to make the arguments that are consistent with what they want to say. It's not what the academic researchers who are doing peer-reviewed climate science, peer-reviewed science are saying. And I think that you are doing a disservice to listeners if you continue to report on things that have been discredited for decades. Well, you're saying then there's a scientific consensus. Yes, not on every aspect. And in fact, one of the things that the IPCC does, which is very helpful to decision makers, is on each subject, you know, they'll make a statement. What is the likelihood that climate change is being caused primarily by human activity? And they will state what is the level of consensus, extremely likely, likely, more likely than not possibility. And what we've seen as there have been a series of IPCC reports is that they're saying the same things and they're saying them with increasing strength. Um, Now, that doesn't mean that we know every detail of which species is going to be at risk in which forest or how, when the flooding will happen in a particular location, but there is an extremely strong scientific consensus that climate change is already happening and it's primarily caused by human activity. Um, You know, that's the science. That's what the scientists are saying. I don't know why we are spending time talking about that. Well, no, I just wondered the questions get asked. I mean, uh, and the models, if the models somehow don't conform to what had been predicted. I mean, it's just a natural inquisition on my part, like, uh, where'd we go wrong on that? But you're saying uh, science has got it all figured out. I appreciate that. Look, uh, not afraid to have people. The models have done remarkably well Mm. at predicting where we are. All right. Uh We'll leave on that note. I appreciate your time. Catherine Harrison. Professor of Poli-Sci at the UBC, a climate policy researcher. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.